Good afternoon and welcome to a Thursday afternoon edition of Bill's Facebook Studies. We're working through uh, the Daily Bible in chronological order edited by Dr. Effligard Smith, wonderful Bible scholar and writer. And he has given us this wonderful tool to read through the Bible in a year. If you've been following it all year, it's pretty exciting because we're just a couple of weeks away from getting to the New Testament. Finally, once we get to the middle of October or a little after, we'll be there. Uh, some exciting things to happen first, however, before we get there, including a few chapters that he has on uh, a few days of readings on the time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's uh, that's exciting studies for me. I enjoy reading that and being reminded of all the historical things that were happening, even though there was no inspired word from the Lord at that time. Today, however, we're reading the last book of the Bible, of the Old Testament, rather, um, even though Eflagard Smith uh, brings it in a little bit earlier than the end of the Old Testament. Many other scholars say that it was perhaps the last thing written. Uh, he has it during this time around the period of Ezra, just before Nehemiah comes back and rebuilds the walls. Uh, and Ezra rebuilds a lot of the worship. Uh, we've introduced ourselves to Ezra this week in our reading, and I'm going to say more about him next week along with Nehemiah on Tuesday. But we'll go ahead and follow Dr. Smith's uh, timetable and have Malachi going right now. Remember the Southern Kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem carried off into captivity at the hands of the Babylonians. Uh, Seventy or so years later, the, uh, the uh, Persian King Cyrus comes in and allows everyone to go back to their homelands, including the Jews. They go back and begin to rebuild. They rebuild the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel, who is a descendant of King David, has royal blood in him. Um, and, of course, also uh, others that are going on, priests and Levites and uh, leaders of God's people and other citizens of Israel that had been in captivity and now had heard the call to go home and answered it. And some stayed in Babylon, having built a home there. Others um, came back. And under the leadership of uh, men like uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, uh, we find them uh, rebuilding not just the buildings, the temple, even though it wasn't what Solomon had. Still, it was the temple of God and uh, rebuilding the walls, as we'll read from Nehemiah coming up, and rebuilding the worship. And that's the, the preaching and teaching of men like Haggai and Zechariah, helping them to get back to work, rebuilding the temple, and also um, Malachi. Malachi is very concerned about the things that were going on, and it was a very difficult time. Um, divorce was rampant. Uh, there was a lot of materialism. Uh, there were a lot of uh, unjust religious leaders uh, at the time, and, uh, and people were uh, just giving God the leftovers in their lives and even in their giving. Uh, sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's pretty relevant, I'd say, even though Malachi is being written sometime around 440, 450 B.C., depending on when you date him. And, um, but still 400 years plus before the time of Christ, even though he looks ahead, not just to the coming of Jesus, but to the coming of the one who would announce Jesus' coming. 
So uh, we'll get to that. This uh, quote from um, Lagarde Smith is what I'm going to start out with. But first, I have some very important announcement. Happy birthday, Samuel Ree Tyndall. Uh, that is our first and oldest grandchild. Sam was born 12 years ago today. And we were very, very excited and very, very thankful for that young guy. Aptly named Samuel. After Amy and Brian had gone through so much to have a child naturally, he was, he was born and we couldn't have been happier. And he was wide awake and had those eyes locked in on everybody uh, from the very start. And he is a wonderful young man, uh, a very handsome guy, if I do say so myself. And he um, has a wonderful heart and a wonderful spirit, very energetic um, uh, very much willing to uh, uh, go out and try new things, um, loves music, loves his family, loves the Lord. He has been baptized into Christ, and we witnessed that a while back at Woodland West in Arlington. And so, happy birthday, Sam, and I hope you have a great, great day. Okay, let's talk Malachi now, shall we? This quote from Lagarde Smith, Malachi's message is powerful in its simplicity. Yes, God does still love his people. And yes, all the grandeur of the ultimate restoration is still coming in God's own time. In the meantime, it is each person's responsibility to lead the kind of life that will be fit for God's holy kingdom. I'm going to read that again at the end of our uh, lesson today. But what a, what a wonderful statement that is, calling all of us to live. Uh, faithfully to God while he carries out his will in his own time. And that's a fitting thing uh, to for Malachi's hearers as well. They were worried that all the positive uh, messages about the day of the Lord and the deliverance of God, he had brought some of that about as they had returned to their homeland and had rebuilt their temple. But there was still a lot of issues and problems that were going on in the nation, not unlike what led up to the time of uh, the Babylonian captivity. So let's read about this. The word Malachi actually means my messenger. Some have suggested that it's not a proper name and that someone like Ezra may have written this uh, book. Uh, others say that Malachi was uh, his name and a real prophet, a real person. I kind of go with that. I'm not sure why, but I just uh, am going to go with that. Um, so let's start reading Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, when you re hear the word prophecy, what do you think of? Probably like me and most everybody, you think of something that is foretelling the future. But that's not always a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, prophets in the Old Testament were spokesmen. They were spokesmen for God. And so they were not necessarily foretelling the future, although many of them did. But as you know, as we have seen in guys like Isaiah and others, uh, they not only foretold the future, but they talked about what was going on in their present time. And that was their primary focus, speaking to the people of their day, whether it was Ezekiel uh, to the exiles in Babylon or Jeremiah to the ones left behind and the other ones that were there. Uh, no matter what, they were talking to the people of their day and time. But in the midst of all of that, they sometimes also had prophecy of, of future events. Sometimes there was an application in their day and an application ahead. We saw that in Isaiah and others as well. So uh, we'll start again, okay, after Bill's little uh, uh, rabbit chase there. 
Malachi 1 verse 1, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Now, this is exactly the tenor and the style of Malachi, the book. It's kind of, it's a dialectic. It's a question and answer. He seems to be doing what Paul does some in Romans and also in 1 Corinthians and other places where he kind of asks some questions that the people that he's writing to have been asking. And, uh, and so this is one of them. Uh, I have loved you, says the Lord. And, and the Lord says, but you ask, how have you loved us? And so what he does is he asks those questions and then he responds to them. Sometimes he gives a response that the people have made that's not quite accurate. Verse 2 of chapter 1, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Well, that gives us problems, doesn't it? Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I hated. And the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, are asking, how have you loved us? And God says, well, I chose you. I chose Jacob over Esau. I chose you and Jacob over the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, and uh, Jacob's brother, the older of the two twins, Esau. Uh, Paul deals with this in Romans 9. So I'm not going to get into depth about it, but it's just God's sovereign choice, not for salvation, uh, but the sovereign choice to bring about the Messiah and to have his chosen people be descendants of Jacob rather than Esau uh, throughout the Old Testament period. Uh, and so that gets us started right off the bat. Now skip down to verse uh, 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me, God asks. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. By offering defiled food on my altar, verse 7. So you see that back and forth. He repeats a question that they have asked, and then he gives a response. Then he gives an answer from the Lord by offering defiled food on my altar. And they ask, how have we defiled you? And God says, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals, verse 8, for sacrifice, is that not wrong? Yes. According to the law, they were not supposed to give an animal that had a defect. Uh, very clear. When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Isn't it interesting? We've heard that argument before, right? When people come to uh, worship the Lord in something that is not culturally appropriate and uh, respectful to the Lord, and the question might be asked, well, if you were going to see Governor Abbott in Texas, would you, would you wear that? Is that what you would wear? And I realize that argument has a few holes in it, but it's interesting that Malachi gives that ex exact argument. Um, you're offering these things to the Lord. Would you offer them to the governor if you were giving him a gift? And it is truly a, a very good point. Um, verse 10, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. We've seen that in Hosea, Amos, uh, others, uh, Psalm 50 that said, you know, God, God says, I don't need your sacrifices. I want your heart to go along with it. I want it to be uh, obedient. 
I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name, verse 11, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Again, even in Old Testament times, God was not just concerned about his chosen people through whom would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ, but he was concerned about everyone. And he wanted his chosen people to be that witness to the nations, to the world, just like he wants his chosen people, the church, to be that today. And that's what we who have named the name of Christ and have been baptized into his body, the church, that's what we are called to be as well. Verse 12, but you profane it by saying the Lord's temple is, de is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. He's going to talk more straightforwardly about giving in a moment. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And it's interesting that he brings that up because God has never ex expected people to give what they do not have. And so he makes that very, very clear. And he says, well, if someone has an animal that is acceptable to God and they promise to give it, but then they give a blemished one instead, one that has a defect, one that's blind or lame or not quite right, the sacrifice is not complete and it's not genuine. And it's not given in accordance to the law from an obedient heart. And so God rejects it. Uh, well, it wasn't just the people who were offering up unacceptable sacrifices, but their leaders, the priests, were unjust. Chapter 2 of Malachi. And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. What a tragedy. He continues in verse 7 of chapter 2. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi. Remember Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob? And through Levi came the priest, through Aaron, his descendant. Uh, the Levites were very special, chosen for special tasks by God. Uh, verse 9, So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Just like we do, they would say, Well, I'll keep this one, but I won't keep that one. Or I'll hold this person accountable, but not that person. This is the call for religious leaders and all leaders really today to act with justice uh, and faithfulness and especially spiritual leaders such as preachers and teachers and ministers of all sorts and Bible class teachers, elders, all of these uh, are called upon to act with faithfulness. Um, he continues to talk to the people very straightforwardly in ways that we need to hear today as well. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. 
Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. It's a very serious thing when we read in Scripture that God rejects someone's offering or someone's prayers and promises that he's not listening. And it's because of their sinfulness they've gone so far away from God that he refuses to accept their sacrifice. And we've seen this throughout the Old Testament prophets we've been reading for months now, haven't we? Uh, we hear them calling on the people not to marry the, the uh, women of the land, whether they're in Canaan or wherever they might be. And the reason is because this is what happens. They are led away into idolatry and they worship the gods of the land after they marry within uh, the people of the land. And so God had forbidden that from the start and called on them uh, to be faithful and to be separate because those nations were pagan nations. They were not worshiping the one true and living God. And God knew that they would uh, cause his people to fall away. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened and what has happened. And so now, even after the exile that was brought about because of this very thing and other sins, they had fallen back into that, and Malachi calls them out on it. Um, but it's not just marrying uh, foreign pagan women and then falling into their religion and their idolatry. But he, he tells them that they had lost uh, respect for the sanctity of marriage, period. In chapter 2 of Malachi, beginning at verse 13, Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. God takes marriage and the sanctity of marriage very seriously. And we've talked about that before in these lessons at times, looking uh, at uh, the, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, going back to creation, God creating a man and a woman and calling on them to leave father and mother and cleave to each other as husband and wife. That's what his call is still today. Jesus himself reaffirms that call in Matthew 19 and in other places, and we see it throughout the New Testament as well. Malachi here calls on them to do that very thing. Don't disrespect and disregard the wife or the husband of your youth. If you're married right now, then be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful. Don't seek a divorce. I realize I'm a product of a divorced home. My parents were divorced when I was uh, a sophomore in high school. And so I get that. I understand the tragedy and I understand 
um, uh, how, how horrible it is and, and how much in opposition to the vision God has for marriage it is. But I realize that sometimes uh, it is because of the sinfulness of humanity, it is unavoidable. unavoidable. But what I call on people to do whose marriages are still intact is to feed that marriage, enrich that marriage, um, be the spouse that you need to be, and help each other do that very thing. Do not be unfaithful to the spouse of your youth, the partner of your marriage covenant, God says. They were having the same trouble in the 400s BC just as we do today. Uh, and then chapter 2, verse 17 ends with this statement. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? It is unbelievable how appropriate and applicable that statement is. God says, I'm getting tired of you. I'm tired of you. What are you tired of, we would ask. We say all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. Is that not what you hear in our society today? That sin is openly accepted. The words of God in the Bible are rejected and explained away or not even cared about at all. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, they say, and he is pleased with them. Or they say, where is the God of justice? Hey, he's not acting. He must not exist. You said that he doesn't like evil, and yet we see evil everywhere, so I'm sinning and not getting in trouble. That's exactly their attitude, and that's a very dangerous attitude. And we know from reading up to now in the Bible that God will let that go on to a point, and then he will act. And that's just as true today as it has ever been. Wearing out the Lord. What a term. Chapter 3 gives us another example of their sinfulness and our sinfulness today. Uh, this is where we first hear the words in the traditional translation, will a man rob God? Uh, that's exactly one of the questions that Malachi puts before them. <clears throat> in Malachi 3, beginning at verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Boy, mark that statement. What a great statement. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Malachi says, I, the Lord, do not change. Malachi 3, verse 6. So you, the, defendant, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. You see, that's the only reason they were not destroyed. It wasn't because they were righteous or deserved to live. He could have wiped them all out in the days of Moses. He certainly could have wiped them all out in the days of Jeremiah and the Babylonian captivity. And yet he says, I, the Lord, do not change. I remember my covenant with Abraham, even though you have been unfaithful, God says, I have not changed. And that is why you are not destroyed. Verse seven, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. What a great statement. Return to me and I will return to you. Amazing. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Oh boy, should never have asked that one. In tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me, God says. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. I love this, this part. Test me in this, in the middle of verse 10, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Sounds very much like 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Sounds very much like 1 Timothy 6. That passage where God says, I will, I will provide for you if you will hold on to your blessings with an open hand and be willing to share them so that others will be able to see that your faith is not in your assets. It's not in your bank account or your uh, savings account. It's, it's not in the things that you have or the skills that you have, but rather it's in your God. And you use those things to his glory to provide for your own needs and your families, of course, but also to give, to provide for others. If you want a good theology of giving, that's it. And that's what Malachi says, hey, bring food into my storehouse. Bring your 10%. Bring your tithes, your gifts. He's not asking for all of it. He says, bring what you should be giving. And, and it's almost like God is saying uh, a line right out of a Christmas story, I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you to give as you've been prospered and see if I don't shower you with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. He gives us that promise still today. It may not look exactly like we had planned or hoped, but he will provide for us in ways that are far beyond what we might imagine. And God says, I will do this. Test me in this. God says, I double dog dare you. Go ahead and give what you have, uh, what you are called to give. In the words of 2 Corinthians 8 9, give as you've been prospered and see if I don't make your storehouses overflow, if I don't provide for you in abundance. Uh, will a man rob God? Will a woman rob God? That's the question. And Malachi is just as relevant today as ever because we live in a very materialistic culture just like Malachi did, just like Isaiah did. And it's during those times where we have to challenge ourselves to give. And the church needs it. Uh, the ministries need it. Uh, after these last few years, we are weary. We are tired. And uh, difficult decisions have been made. And so we call on each other to give as we've been prospered. And we hold on to that promise. And we hear God saying, test me in this. Put all the tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't bless you uh, and provide for you in ways that you uh, go beyond your wildest imagination. Incredible statement in Matthew 3. Let's continue on in Matthew 3, starting in verse 13. And we hear again about those who wear out the Lord. I'm weary with you. But we also hear about those who do not. And it's a great contrast starting in, Math in Malachi 3, verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Again, that same pattern. Verse 14, you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Those are the ones that are making God weary. They're wearing him out. But that's not everybody. 
starting in Malachi 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. God sees and he knows, even if you're in the midst of people that don't care about God at all, wherever you might be, God sees and God knows and God hears. And he writes it down, he puts it in that scroll of remembrance in other places, the book of life. Verse 17, on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi has talked a little bit about the day of the Lord. Malachi 3, verse 17, on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as the father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Chapter 4, verse 1, Surely the day is coming, and it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you, chapter 4, verse 2, For you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. What an image. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Vindication will come. We may not see it. It may not come during our lifetime. But vindication will come because God sees and God knows, and he's written everything down in a scroll of remembrance. Jesus would borrow some of that same kind of thinking as he told some of his parables about the end of the world. You know, the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tares, uh, the, or weeds. Uh, God sees and God knows. And he's drawing a great distinction, the prophet Malachi is, in those who are good and those who are evil, and those who do not care about God and wear him out, and those who fear the Lord and serve him and please him. Verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb or Sinai for all Israel. That's the call for us to remember that contrast between the obedient and the disobedient, those who fear God and the foolish, as the wise men in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes would say, um, those who are obedient to God and those who do not care about his word and his will. And even though it seems like they might be getting away with it now, they won't forever. And the consequences are eternal, eternally. Well, as we begin to close today, let's, uh, let's look back at chapter 3, verse 1, and then come back and read these last two verses of Malachi 4. And you'll recognize this. Chapter 3, verse 1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Isaiah 40 speaks of that messenger. And Isaiah, uh, uh, John the Baptist, takes those words of Isaiah 40 as his own. When they ask him, who are you? He says, I'm a voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way. For the Lord. In the same way, Malachi talks about that. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then in chapter 4, he gets even more clear. In chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, 
See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Jesus himself quotes this very passage in Matthew chapter 11. When John the Baptist is in jail and he sends word to Jesus through a couple of his disciples saying, are you the one or do we look for another? And then, then they leave and Jesus talks about John for a while. And he says, what did, what did you go out to see? Somebody weak? No, not at all. He's a strong, strong man. Somebody wealthy? No, no, not that either. But what was he? Well, Jesus quotes this passage. He's the prophet Elijah that Malachi had said would come and turn the people's hearts back to the Lord. Uh, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And so Jesus goes on to say, for those who are faithful, for those who will hear with their ears, then John is the Elijah that was to come. And Jesus is the one for whom John the Baptist prepared the way. As we close today, let me read this quote again from F. Lagarde Smith because I think it's so appropriate and it sums up his message so great in these four short chapters. And it's a great call for us today to live this life as well. Malachi's message is powerful in its simplicity. Yes, God does still love his people. And yes, all the grandeur of the ultimate restoration is still coming in God's own time. In the meantime, it is each person's responsibility to lead the kind of life that will be fit for God's holy kingdom. I pray that we will all live that kind of life. God bless you and give you a great weekend, and I will see you on Tuesday.